Well, it is good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church on our third annual homecoming celebration day. I enjoyed the singing we had. We, did, we had to cut it short this morning, but uh, it is good to be here. Glad to have those that's here in the house today and those watching online. And uh, like I said, it's our third annual homecoming. We uh, started Porchlight Baptist Church back in 2019. September 1st is when our official day, uh, date is for uh, the church beginning. Uh, as the Lord called me away from our former church at Highland there uh, that year in August, and so uh, it's been it's been a journey so far. Uh, we started out hoping to be able to go into other homes and uh, the nursing homes. We were going in there, and then the pandemic hit, and uh, that kind of put a uh, an end to all that. Uh, they won't let you go in the nursing home and do what we were doing before and anything like that. So, uh, uh, but the Lord is still blessing us, and uh, I know He's got a, a, a something for us in mind uh, for the future. But uh, it is good to be here, and uh, this morning, as I told you last week, we're not going to be in Romans today. We are going to be in the book of Jude. Jude, uh, there's one chapter, chapter one. Uh, it won't be hard to find. Go to Revelation, go back to the previous book to that, and you'll find it there, nestled in there. A uh, very small book, but very important. So much in it, uh, the book of Jude. And we're going to look at uh, the first five verses. We'll go ahead and read those, and then we'll get right into the message. And here the Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not." Father, we thank you for this service thus far. Lord, we thank you for our church and for you allowing us to do what we do, Lord, our small part in sharing the gospel to this lost and dying world. Lord, we're now just praying for you to help us as we try to preach this morning on this text, Lord, that you have for us. And God, we pray that uh, you will be glorified and magnified in everything that's said and done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully the, the smell of the beans and fried chicken doesn't get everybody too stirred up. Uh, we won't think about that for now. That's always been one of the downfalls of homecomings is you know what's waiting for you. And uh, you sit there and your stomach starts growling. You start thinking about all that good food. And uh, next thing you know, you tune the preacher out. Well, don't do that. I've got a cold uh, Coca-Cola up here in my podium. I'll, I'll sling it out there on you if, you if I see it. Not paying attention. But... Uh, uh, recently, you know, I've been studying a lot about uh, the church, and uh, me and Mary was talking about the church here recently, and, and Baptist in particular, and, you know, where that came from and all that. And I've taught a uh, sermon series on that, why we're Baptist, and um, the beginning of the Baptist, everything about it. This morning, I'm going to look a little bit at that, but I've titled the message, Earnestly Contending for the Faith, and you'll see that there in your 
your text uh, there in, um, what is it, verse 3. He says, uh, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that phrase there. Earnestly contend for the faith. And that's what we want to talk about today. Earnestly contending for the faith. This faith that we have. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the the, the uh, uh, evidence of things not seen. Uh, my mind started going blank there. I must have been thinking about that chicken. Uh, I'm going to have to douse myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's what our faith is. This whole religion, we call it religion, that we practice is faith-based religion. Not all religions based on faith. It's based on works. Not ours. Ours is not based on works. It's based entirely on faith, and that is the faith in the Lord Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection on that, uh, from the grave. He died on that cross, was buried, rose in three days. That's the gospel. And uh, he sits on the right hand of the Father now, making intercession for us. And we believe that with our heart. With our heart, we believe. In our mouth, the profession is made. So here, as we look at this text, uh, we find Jude, uh, which we believe to be the Lord Jesus' um, half-brother. I believe he had four half-brothers, and he had uh, maybe two or three sisters. Sisters are not named. I know his brothers are. Here's a couple of them named. we got Jude. <laughs> which is also called Judas. The Hebrew language would have been Judah. Uh, but uh, here his name is just simply Jude, and he says his brother James, which we believe to be the half-brother of Jesus as well. So uh, there's really, when you think about religion and faith and uh, what people do when they come together and, and worship, uh, you can spot a false teacher. You can, you can spot a false religion or a cult, uh, usually by three things. And those things are, first of all, it's because they've strayed from the Bible and they've allowed man, a man-made worldly doctrine to creep into their teaching. So it's more man-based teaching than it is Bible-based. And you'll find that uh, false religions and uh, cults and things, they'll get wrapped up uh, in that. And secondly, they pervert what the Bible is saying and twist it. Um, to fit their ideology. So if there's some thought some man has that he thinks something ought to be, well, he'll look through the Bible till he finds something he can work that, that belief into, and then he'll die on a hill preaching and teaching that. That's how cults begin. And thirdly, they'll add to the Bible and claim they've seen or heard new revelation from the Lord. Uh, I want to tell you right now, somebody tells you they've heard something new that's not in God's word, they're a false teacher. And so there's no more so-called prophets today. Uh, all the prophets we find in the Bible, God's word, the canon of scripture is complete. There's no additions to it. Everything we need to know is nestled right here in the word of God. So don't be believing anybody that's got new revelation. They've heard something that nobody else has heard. And you won't find it in your Bible, but God told me personally. No, he didn't. If anybody told you anything, it was the devil. And so uh, I thought it's important for us to know why we, as a Baptist church, why we do what we do, where our faith and practice comes from, and, and what it's all about. Um, and we believe that the Baptist faith is the same one that the Jesus and his disciples practiced over 2,000 years ago. We believe that we're following those same uh, steps and doctrine that they followed. Um, look at verse 3 again. It says, Beloved, 
when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, the whole intention of this tiny little book here of Jude is to warn the church and expose false teachers and, and doctrine that had crept in. And it's been happening that way all the way from the early days of the New Testament church. False teachers crept into the church. Paul talked about it all the time. Uh, so false doctrine and false religions have been around since the beginning of the church. It's not anything new. Nothing surprised. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. There's nothing that's going to surprise uh, us, and certainly is not surprising God. He knows it all. Uh, but Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you, the common salvation is need for me to write unto you. He was wanting to write to them about salvation. The common salvation is what he said right there. Instead, he felt led by the Holy Spirit to write to them about something else, something that was going on apparently among them at the time. And they had either become lax or lazy or uh, careless, but they were not aware of what was going on. So Jude here is bringing to light the problems that the church had that they probably wasn't even aware of. Now notice that Jude's plea to them is for them to earnestly contend for the faith. That word contend right there means to strive for and to defend against. To strive for and or defend against. Think of it in terms of a soldier protecting a king. A soldier that's, that's, that's been set aside to protect the king will do everything in his power to make sure that king is protected. If it means his death, so be it. The soldier is prepared to die. That's what he signed on for, to protect the king. And so he's in charge of protecting him, and he'll do everything in his power to make sure the king is safe. Jude sees the same type of urgency needed for the church and for, for doctrine. For, for the faith, he thinks they need to defend the faith, contend for it. In other words, to strive and defend against it. Don't just act like it's, it means nothing. Church, it's, it's the most important thing for us in our faith and practice. In other words, be a contender and not a pretender. Be a contender and not a pretender. Because uh, there were obviously pretenders among them. False teachers crept in unawares and pretending to be what they wasn't. Those of the true faith that are concerned about keeping the church pure and doctrinally sound must put themselves in a position of contending for the faith. If you don't have anybody in the church that's willing to contend for the faith, that church will fall and fold. They'll allow everything to come into that church and destroy it. We need to make sure we put ourselves in this position of contending for the faith, contending for what God has given us here in the church. Uh, if it was bad in Jude's day, imagine how much worse it's now 2,000 years later uh, because there's a lot of crazies out there now. And I know there were then, but uh, how much worse is it today? And that's why you see so many churches that used to be good churches, uh, strong, doctrinally sound, had good pastors and uh, members that contended for the faith, and now they're nothing. I wouldn't step foot in some of the churches today that I used to would have. They've fallen into apostasy. They've allowed anything and everything to go on. That's why you see these little feminist preachers uh, uh, prancing around behind pulpits preaching a social gospel instead of opening up God's word and saying, this is what God says. No, they want to get up and say something to tickle those ears and, and make people feel good about themselves and to get on social media and, and have a bunch of likes and all that stuff. 
that's why you see the big push for the LGBT movement in the Southern Gospel Con- uh, Association uh, convention. They call it. Um, there, a lot of them there won't accept all that. They want it. They want it part of it. That's why you see Bible perversions today that are taking and making them gender neutral, because people are not contending for the faith. They're allowing this stuff to go on. You see these so-called women pastors and preachers out there. Turn on the community TV channel and you'll see them on there uh, speaking all their jibber-jabber and and pretending to be a preacher. Uh, And that's why you see there's another gospel being preached which isn't a gospel. Paul warned against that. Even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel other than what you've heard, then, uh, you know, shun that. So, Listen, Paul himself, Paul didn't write the book of Jude, uh, but it goes right along with all of his writings, his epistles, and the protection and and the looking over the church. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatians. They were having a similar problem, and he let them have it. I mean, he came out with a a double-barrel shotgun and and, and fully loaded. Galatians 1, 6 through 10, Paul rips into them. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him, has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you other uh, than you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. And so Paul set that church straight right quick. He said, listen here. You go, if you're going to listen to that, I can't believe that you've allowed some of this to go on. What in the world happened to you? Uh, he says, listen, if, if I'm going to get up here and try to preach to please men, I don't have any business preaching at all. And so to avoid all this, we must be contenders for the faith. Earnestly contend. That means sincerely, earnestly. We know what that means. Uh, Because there are many, many pretenders out there. The Bible talks about them often, false teachers, um, wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, John, the apostle John warned about these pretenders in his epistles. He called them deceivers and said they were antichrist. Not the antichrist, but antichrist. That, of course, means opposite of Christ. This teaching they're doing is not the Christ teaching. It's opposite of it. And John said there were many antichrist. Now, back in our text here in Jude, verse 3, he says for them to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So this doctrine that they are to defend and contend for, it has already been delivered to them. They know it. But somehow they have gotten lax on it. It is the doctrine their church was started on, the doctrine they're supposed to be practicing at that time. And that doctrine is the teaching of Christ and his apostles. That's what they knew about, the teaching of Christ and his apostles. Now, by the time Jude was written, the church had the doctrine of Christ. They they, they knew it. There was nothing new that needed to be added to it. You could call this the fundamentals of the faith. What they knew were the fundamentals of the faith. Now, this church... The previous church that I was at is considered a independent, fundamental, missionary Baptist church. That's a lot of names to throw out there. But let me break that down for you. First of all, being independent. 
an independent Baptist is not some cult. There's some people say the independent Baptists are a bunch of cults. No. Independent simply means we are not, uh, there is not a governing body over us, an outside governing body. We govern our own self based on the Word of God with Christ being the head of the church. We don't go ask a convention or an association if we can do this or do that. We don't use whatever material some convention tells us to use. If you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, that's what you're to do. You're to follow their faith and practice, what they have outlined there in their, their statement of faith. But independent, we don't belong to any outside governing body. We don't answer or to buy to any rules and regulations of an outside uh, convention or association. We answer directly to the Lord for our faith and practice. <clears throat> now, being independent means that we decide what's best for our church. Somebody's not going to come and say, well, these are the missionaries that the association is going to support. No, we're going to support the missionaries that we want to support. And we do that. We support those missionaries. We've got three right now, the Sodders, the Blands, and the Marshals. And we support those three because we feel like that's who God wants us to support. And so it was not like that in the Southern Baptist Convention. It, all your money went into a, a, a general offering it got sent to the convention, and then it paid a bunch of people that sat in offices. We didn't know where the money was going back when we were. Uh, this church wasn't ever in the Southern Baptist Convention, but I, I used to belong to churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. They couldn't tell you where your money was going. Oh, no, it goes into this this fund, you know, the mission fund or whatever it was. And uh, we don't believe in that. Uh, there's, you know, a convention board with a bunch of people making huge salaries don't believe in that. We believe in being independent. And also, think of this. If we're independent, somebody else comes along and says, well, we don't agree with what you're doing or whatever. Okay, leave. If you don't like it, this is the way we practice. We practice what the Bible says. You don't like it, you don't need to be here. There's plenty of places you can go and be happy. And so... Um, yeah, I don't care what other people think or what other churches are doing or anything like that. I care what this church does because we're independent. Uh, that word fundamental right there, that's another bad word to a lot of people. Fundamental. Oh, I know what that means. That means you've got to wear a suit and tie and certain colors and, and look a certain way and act a certain No, it doesn't. Fundamental means we adhere to the fundamentals of the faith according to the Bible. That's what that means. That means we don't back down on any of the truths of the Bible. We don't downplay them. We don't try to sugarcoat them, water them down, or anything like that. That's why in Declaration A of our church bylaws, it states, the Bible is infallible and our sole authority for faith and practice. It is not the Southern Baptist Convention's doctrinal statement of faith and message. It's what they call it. Uh, have you read their statement? It is very weak. It's wishy-washy. You can't pin them down on anything. It's like trying to nail jello to the wall. Uh, fundamentals of faith include all the important doctrinal teachings of Christ in the Scripture and not straying from them. That's what that means. So when somebody comes along and says, "Well, you know, I know the Bible might say this right there, but our, we, you know, we believe in our faith and practice that you know this is okay for people, you know, LGBT. That's fine, you know, because you know, no." Now, while there are many fundamental truths in the Bible, the key five fundamentals of faith are this. The inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures. 
the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the blood atonement of Christ, and the bodily resurrection of Christ. Those are the five essential fundamentals of the faith. If you remove any of those, you've destroyed it. Any of them. You take them away, there's no truth there. So everything hinges upon the acceptance of the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures. And I know we throw those words around a lot of times. You know, I've heard preachers get up and they, they go on and on about the infallible, you know, and inerrant and all that stuff. And I don't believe half of them know what they're saying. They just got used to saying it and they don't even know what they're saying. Well, listen, inerrant means it's free from any kind of errors of any kind. That means there's no mistakes, there's no accidents or anything in your Bible. You completely believe every single word. Infallible means just exactly that, completely trustworthy and reliable. That's why we say the King James Bible is inerrant and it's infallible. It's completely trustworthy and completely true. There's no mistakes. And so the Bible is completely accurate. If you don't believe that, then nothing else matters. If you can't believe the entire Bible completely, then you don't believe the Bible. Then, you know, there's some people who say, well, you know, Brother Byron, I believe, you know, in Jesus, and I believe, you know, certain things like that, but I don't believe in, in the flood. Come on, really? You really believe that? Or I, I don't believe in, you know, the, an ark. Are you kidding me? All those animals on the ark and God killed everybody on there. You know, I just can't swallow that. I think that's some story somebody made up. But now Jesus, I believe that Jesus existed. Or they'll say something like, you honestly think that that 5,000 people were fed with two fishes and five loaves of bread and had leftovers? Now, I just can't swallow that, Brother Byron. But now I believe in Jesus. Well, listen, if you don't believe in all the other you don't believe in Jesus because the entire word of God is the word of God. And the Bible says God is not a liar. He cannot lie. And so I believe all the Bible, every little thing that seems impossible for us with man that's impossible with God, all things are possible. And so I believe every single portion of this Bible, I don't doubt any of it ever. And so you either believe it all or you don't believe it at all. That's Brother Byron saying for you. So our fundamentals are based exclusively upon the teaching of the Scripture, not upon John Calvin, not upon uh, even J. Vernon McGee, <laughs> uh, the, the good commentator I used to love, you know, through the Bible. And I found a lot of mistakes that he's made. Uh, it's not based off John MacArthur, not based off any anybody like that. It's based upon the Bible. And so our fundamentals exclusively on the teaching of the Scripture, all teachings of the Scripture, that's where we get our faith and practice for as Baptists. Now, Baptists, okay, so we got independent, fundamental. We know what those mean. What about Baptists? Well, that means John the Baptist started our church. <laughs> no, not really. Um, there's eight Baptist distinctives that that put Baptists apart from most other faiths. There's eight Baptist distinctives. And we use these to describe our core beliefs. Let me give those to you. First of all, there's, and it's it's a, a well, they call it a, not acronym, but I can't remember the words for it. But if you go down and you write down Baptist in this row, and I'll give you all these as, as they, they come. So first you have believer's baptism, and it's only by immersion. 
We don't believe in baby baptism. We don't believe in sprinkling. We don't believe in anything that is not in the Bible. The Bible teaches when someone gets saved, they get fully immersed in water. That's what we believe. So we're believers' baptism. If you're lost, you're not to be baptized. And do you know that a lot of people in this world base their salvation on their baptism? I've been, I don't know how many people I've talked to about uh, the gospel and ask them questions like, have you ever been saved? Oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was so-and-so, such-and-such age. And all. I didn't ask you when you got baptized. When did you get saved? When did you understand you were a lost sinner bound for hell and you believed the gospel and, and were saved? Oh, well, I remember getting baptized. Well, you've not been saved. Uh, that's the first one. Believers' baptism by immersion only. Second, authority and inerrancy of the Bible. We've just talked about that one. It is our, our standard. Uh, it's our only source for faith and practice. Thirdly, the priesthood of the believers. That means all believers share in the priesthood of Christ. We don't go to some pope in the box and, and him draw back a, a curtain and hide behind a, a little fence or, or whatever, that thing, piece of trellis, you know, and say, Bless me, Father, for I sinned. You know, we don't do that. There's no mediator between God and man except that man, Christ Jesus. He's our great high priest. And because we are all in Christ and he's in us, it's the priesthood of the believers. We're all our own. We can go directly to the source. I don't have to go out here and, and rouse somebody up and, and uh, re repent of my sins to some man and then he pray on my behalf. Fourthly, there's two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the only two things that we believe the Bible uh, definitely commands us to do as a church body. That is uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, a lot of churches do a lot of other things. I don't believe foot washing is a commandment. We don't see it practiced outside of that portion there in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, I believe that was for, during the time of the Acts of the Apostles. And so we don't practice foot washing. Uh, there's, fifthly, the independence of the local church. We've already talked about that. That's what independent means. No outside governing body. Six, we believe in saved church membership and soul liberty. So you are dictated by your conscience through the Holy Spirit. That's soul liberty. You, your, your life is lived based upon your conscience through the Holy Spirit but it's a saved church membership, not lost people. I know a lot of lost people join the church, but they're not supposed to. The church is made up of saved people. Seventh, there's two officers, pastor and deacon. No other officers are mentioned in the Bible. I mean, you have elders and, and things like that, which all end up being a pastor when you look at it and you know, break it down. And there's, you know, evangelists and, and all that. Those are not officers of the church, pastor and deacon. And lastly, eighth, separation, church and state, personal, ecclesiastical. So we believe that we should be able to practice our faith however we've seen fit based upon our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We don't believe the church answers to the state. We don't believe that the state dictates what the church can do or personally that we can do. And, uh, or our religion. Ecclesiastical just bores down to your religion, how you practice it. And we believe that we should be able to practice however we seem fit. And so those are the eight Baptist distinctives, they're, they're often called. 
And you can go down through the word Baptist, each one of those. And so there's many groups that call themselves Baptist. And they should all share these same core beliefs if they're truly Baptist. However, there's different types of Baptists. They're not all the same. They're not all like us. And it doesn't mean they're wrong. Just because they do something different than, than we do don't mean they're wrong about it. It just means that's what they want to do. We do things that other churches say, well, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, good. Don't do that at your church. <laughs> but we should practice these same core beliefs. Now, while the Baptist faith was named so because of the belief in total immersion, of course, baptism of the believer, there's many other distinctions involved. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole history of Baptists right now. We don't have time for that. We, we got chickadee. And so we'll save that for another time. But let me just say this. There's many variations of Baptists. And let me give you some instances. Southern Baptists, we've already talked about those. I grew up in Southern Baptist churches. I did not grow up in Independent Baptist Church. Grew up in Southern Baptist. Now, around here in this part, most people belong to the Midland Baptist Association uh, or the Knox County Baptist Association. We didn't do a lot of the things that a lot of the big churches do that's in the convention, you know, the... But we did do all this stuff like Annie Armstrong offering and uh, all those special little holidays they, they took up money for and all that. But the Southern Baptists are really the largest sect of Baptists. Uh, they're going down. Their numbers are dwindling because of all the uh, things that's going on, uh, divisions and such, because of the influence of a lot of liberals that's, that crept into the convention. Uh, the Southern Baptists, they follow the Baptist faith and message of the Southern Baptist Convention. You can go on their website and pull it up and read it all there. It's pretty weak. But there's even different sects of the Southern Baptist Convention. You've got the fundamentalist. You've got the revivalist. You've got the traditionalist, the orthodox, the Calvinist, or reformed is what it's called now. People are afraid to be called a Calvinist now. They want to be called Reformed because nobody knows what that means outside of people in the church. Uh, then you've got the contemporary church practitioner, uh, practicers, and you've got culture warriors within the convention. And they love when the annual Southern Baptist Convention comes up or election time for a new president because that's when everything breaks loose. And it's all over the newspapers. Out in Nashville, the, the Southern Baptist Convention doesn't come together and they're all fighting. And they love it. But that's, that's probably the largest sect of Baptist in the U United States. And then you have the Primitive Baptists. These are also sometimes known as the Hard Shell Baptists. Uh, these churches are Calvinistic in their beliefs. Uh, they uh, prescribe the five major tenets of Calvinism called TULIP. Tulip, we've taught this before, it's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. That's what the primitive Baptists practice. They don't believe in musical instruments in the church. There's a primitive Baptist church just a couple of miles down the road here. It's a beautiful little place sitting there. It's been there for a long time. I believe they just celebrated 80 years in their homecoming. And uh, I told Mary the other day, I'd like to go visit that church sometime. I don't believe in, in all this stuff, but it, it'd be neat to go in there and see what it's like. They don't believe in musical instruments, and so that'd be a problem for me. I love to hear musical instruments. Uh, they don't believe in missions. 
big problem for me. I'm fully believing missions because that's what the Bible teaches. They don't believe in Sunday school or any outside curriculum. And they still practice foot washing. So I'm not going to be a primitive Baptist. All right. There's the free will Baptist. These churches believe in the free will of man to choose to be saved. So they reject Calvinism, but they believe you can lose your salvation. So, you know, there's a lot of these up in the country. If you go toward uh, Tazewell or Claiborne County, you'll see a lot of free will Baptist churches going up through there. Uh, you've got the Seventh-day Adventist Baptist, or Seventh-day Baptist, not Adventist. There's a Seventh-day Adventist faith. But for Baptists, they've got the Seventh-day Baptist, which works on a Saturday. You got the General Baptist, the Particular Baptist, the Landmark Baptist, the American Baptist, Reformed Baptist, and of course here in the U.S. there's more than a hundred different Baptist associations, including the Alliance of Baptists, the American Baptist Association, American Baptist Churches, Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America, Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, Baptist Bible Fellowship International, Baptist General Conference, Baptist Missionary Association of America, and Central Baptist Association. Those are just a few out of hundreds of different associations of Baptists here in the United States. And so I think we get the picture. Our church is an independent, fundamental, missionary Baptist church. I don't think i got to explain what the missionary part means. Uh, by the way, we've got a new letter from the marshals. I, you already put it in our, in our notebook. All right. And so Jude is writing this letter to the church to make them aware of what's going on and urging them to earnestly contend for the faith. Be a contender and not a pretender. So then he goes on to describe what these pretenders are up to. Look at verse 4 back in Jude. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says certain men crept in unawares. Uh, these men have gotten into the church and are sitting there among other members and they fit in. They're in stealth mode. You know what that is, right? That means you come in undercover not seen. They have those stealth bombers. They fly in the air. They're kind of shaped like this, but you don't see them. They come in, they're quiet. Stealth, that means private or uh, secret-like. And that's what these people have done. They came in, and it says they're unaware. So people that's sitting around them and have met them and worshiping with them are unaware of their intent, uh, intentions. And so it's no accident they're there. They did this on purpose. They slept in or crept in, kept a low profile so not to stand out, but to just fit in. They wore the same type of clothing, carried the same Bible, used the same kind of words when they talked to people. They fit right in. Nobody knows. They don't want to draw attention because they're there for a purpose. And the purpose is to interject their false teaching into that church. And you better believe there's people today that want to do that. They'll go to a church, and boy, they'll, they want to inject their beliefs into that church body. They want to turn people against the pastor. They want to get people uh, buttoned up against each other and, and cause divisions because they want the attention. They don't at first, 
But ultimately, what they're looking for is their own attention. And so they want to interject their false doctrine and ideology into the church. And some pastors unwittingly give their pulpit over to some of these people. You know me, I don't allow just anybody to preach behind the pulpit where God has put me. Never have, never will. There was one time, based off one church member's um, belief in this person, um, they knew him, and just went on and on and on about how great he was and what a good preacher he was and everything. And I allowed him to preach uh, one night. And after he got done, I said, he will never preach in this church again. And I will never, just off somebody's opinion, let anybody preach. I've got to know who it is. I've got to know what they believe. And so you've got to be careful. Uh, it can start just like that. Let some man get up and start preaching, and he'll say something a little different than what the, the pastor has been saying. And it'll get people going, now, wait a minute, our pastor says this or that. Well, what about this? And they'll say, well, it sounds sound to me like it's probably pretty good. And next thing you know, you've got a division. You've got people looking at the pastor going, well, you know, that guy that preached last Sunday, he said. So you got to be careful who you listen to as well. The Bible says in 1 John 4 and 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And I'll tell you this right now, and I've always said this, if there's something, anything that I say that is not correct, you tell me. I don't want you to, to uh, just accept everything I say. I want you to get in God's Word and find it for yourself. And you believe in your heart what God's Word says. So, listen, I'm not telling you I'm, I'm perfect. I'm not infallible. <laughs> I'm not in there. Uh, I've got problems. Everybody does. But I don't ever want you to put your complete faith in me. Put it in God. Put it in his word. Jude goes on to say, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Now that is pretty interesting. These people that's crept in and fooled people in the church, but they didn't fool God. He's known it since the beginning. And it says, of old ordained to this condemnation. So he knew it before it even happened, before they were even born, and he condemned their actions before they even happened. Jude says that these men are ungodly men. Uh, that means they have no regard, no respect, no reverence for God. It's all about themselves. They may preach things that, and use God in it and, and Jesus and everything else and any other religious word, but they're irreverent. They're unholy. They don't, they're not true believers. He says that they were turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That King James word right there is unique. It means filthy, lustful, animal desires. Think about that. Think about someone who would creep into the church with that mindset, pretending to be one of you, pretending to have your best interest at heart, pretending to preach for the Lord, be it their heart is filthy, lustful, and in, in animalistic in their desires. And so they've turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Um, it's, it's disgusting. Now, a lot of that goes on. You may remember back in 2018, the big Catholic priest sex scandal. And this is probably going to get me kicked off social media just even talking about it. But in 2018, it all came out. 
they had um, done a, a investigation on all these Catholic priests in, I believe it's Pennsylvania, maybe? Um, yeah, Pennsylvania. Six different cities in the state of Pennsylvania, they did these um, investigations from 1990 to mid-2018, just before the, the report came out. It was an abuse report, and it included 382 priests in those six cities in Catholic churches. There were 625 children involved, mostly under the age of 16, sexually abused by members of the Catholic clergy, and covered up as far up as the Pope himself. The report and the investigation said they found that there was not only widespread sexual abuse, rape of children, but they found that there was a systematic cover-up that went all the way to the Vatican. Now, I can only imagine how many more there was besides that. But it's not just the Roman Catholic. Last year, the Southern Baptist Convention, the report came out. Hundreds hundreds of pastors, uh, church workers that had been reported for sexual abuse. And uh, I tell you what, it's, it's ugly. A lot of really popular preachers lost their jobs last year. And so, uh, look, I can't even describe the weak and pathetic statement that a lot of these people make once they've been caught. The Pope, he said this about all that scandal. He said, I ask our blessed mother to intercede for the healing of the survivors of abuse and to confirm every member of our Christian family in the resolve never again to permit these situations to occur. How weak. You mean to tell me the rape and sexual uh, violence against children? That's what you're going to call it? He called it a situation. The situation. Rape, sodomizing. Like it was something minor. Listen, it was nasty. It was hellish. It was perverted. It was a sexual deviant abomination. So they turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, Jude goes on to say, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And as if turning the grace of God into lascivious isn't bad enough, they actually deny the Lord God and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know where their heart truly is. Now what does the Bible call those who deny Christ? Well, lost for one thing. In 1 John 2 and 22, the Bible says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. 1 John 4 and 3, every spirit to confess us not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. 2 John 1 and 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and an Antichrist. So those that don't believe in the Lord God, it says denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, they're Antichrist. Antichristos. Antichristos. Adversaries of Christ. They claim to be of Christ and they're working for Christ, but they're actually working against Christ. All right, let's look at our last verse and we'll be finished. 
Verse 5, Jude. <clears throat> I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believed not. Uh, Jude wants to take them back into history about what happened when God looked out upon this world and every man was doing what he thought was right in his own eyes. Uh, and he said he would destroy this world. And even those people out of Egypt, those people that God led out of Egypt's bondage, because he loved them, because they were his people, what, what happened? Well, when they got to bickering and complaining and sinning and all that, he destroyed them that didn't believe. Those that didn't believe in, in the truth, he destroyed them out there in that desert. None of them except what? Uh, Caleb and uh, another of the originals went into the promised land. All the others died out in the wilderness. And so God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And if that's the truth, and it is, then do you not think for one minute that he wouldn't do the same today? So Jude says, therefore, I want to put you in remembrance because you knew this one time, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And so the truth is, denying Christ is the unpardonable sin. That's the sin that you can't come back from, is not believing in Christ. You can't come back from it. It's only through Jesus Christ men can be saved. Acts 4 and 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So in that same urgency that Jude had for the church in his day, it's the same urgency that we need to be preaching in churches today. Listen, we must contend for the faith earnestly with all of our heart. It's too important not to. For the sake of our families, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our country, and all those that come after us, we must be contenders and not pretenders. So how about it? Do we have those that will earnestly contend for the faith? Or is it not important? Is it one of those situations where you say, well, you know what, I could do without church. I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we will stand before him one day. What are we going to say? Lord, I just didn't feel like earnestly contending for the faith was you know, something I needed to do. Brother Byron do that. I got other things to do. I don't think that's going to fly. If you believe this Bible, if you believe the Word of God, then you believe that you, a member of God's church, is responsible to earnestly contend for the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you today for the message. Lord, I pray that it has went out and just done a mighty work, God, in our hearts, those that's listening here and online. God, I pray that it's been helpful. Lord, I pray that you always instill within us the importance to remember that we are to earnestly contend for the faith, Lord, because our faith is all about you. Lord, and once we've lost that, Lord, once the church is weakened to a point where our faith is no longer in practice or believed, Lord, then we cease being your people. Help us, Lord, be better at witnessing sharing the gospel, contending for the faith. 
Give us the help for it, the strength. We know it all comes from you. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.